G'day guys and welcome to another episode of the Coach Mark Carroll podcast. Today we have a special guest. He happens to be my brother. Um, so welcome, Glenn. I know you guys have Hello. listened. Oh, sorry. I spoke over him. That was a good start. Anyways, um, I know you guys have probably listened to episodes of Glenn. He's been on the show a couple of times. So Glenn always offers a lot, a lot of value. And for those who don't know, Glenn is a personal trainer and is my older brother. And we have our Carol Performance Coaching Business together where we have our certificate three and four in fitness and our program design course. Um, and Glenn is also an online coach. Glenn, do you want to give everyone who doesn't know you a really, really quick rundown of you before we get into our episode? Yeah, so I've been working in the fitness industry uh, for about 15 years. I actually started coaching 25 years ago when I was a little kid. Um, I really enjoy coaching uh, different types of people and some athletic populations. What do you mean 25 years populations. ago? I started coaching when I was 13 um, when I got injured. And so I started coaching rugby and high oh, performance yeah. cricket and all that sort of stuff, athletics. And then I sort of fell into the strength and conditioning industry and then sort of fitness and whatnot from there. So my background is a bit different to most. So coaching fitness for 15 years, but I'm also like qualified in as a nutritionist and strength and condition coach and to treat people as well as so injuries. So diverse, weird background. I get bored easily. So I like to learn. Yeah. So with that, obviously Glenn has coached a lot of people for a long time. Um, I have coached a lot of people for a long time and something we use a lot is something called tempo and if you've done one of my programs which i'm sure the majority of you guys who are listening have you've seen when i write programs we'll have things like obviously the exercise name the sets the reps the rest period but also the tempo and tempo is something i think is really misunderstood um in the kind of fitness community i feel like people kind of blatantly just don't use it and don't talk about majority of people but then people who kind of do a bit more detailed training programs use tempo um, and can use tempo really well but likewise i think they can use tempo quite poorly or kind of overdo things and the complexities of tempo um so what i want to do today on this episode is just kind of go over a, a few of the variables with tempo like just simply explaining it so you guys just walk away and be like oh, okay cool i get it and then understand, you know, the pros of tempo, the cons of utilizing tempo um, from a standpoint of, you know, how can you utilize it on your clients or yourself and why even, even understanding, well, why do I, if you're doing my program or Glenn's program, why are we using tempo? What's the, what's the objective there? I think, um, I think it's one of those things that when used and used correctly, it can be a fantastic tool. And I think though some people can use it quite poorly at times which we'll get into so glenn do you want to explain just what is tempo and so i just want to kind of drive in the fact that regardless of us writing tempo down or whatever everything has a tempo to it when you're in the gym you know so it's just whether or not you say i'm programming tempo like people are like oh i do tempo programming it's like well everyone's doing tempo to some degree you know it's like saying i'm moving weight um so do you want to kind of explain kind of what tempo is glenn and just from a, a breakdown and why we use our four digit cadence for tempo and kind of how that would look yeah so tempo is a four digit code which indicates the speed at which movements performed 
Um, and you can manipulate it accordingly to change the exercise demands and the outcomes that occur and the nature and feel of an exercise. The four components are you have your eccentric phase, you have a transition phase, a concentric phase, and a transition phase again. So like when you do an eccentric phase, it's when you're yielding or the muscle is lengthening and you're essentially doing negative work. So think lowering down on the squat. Transition phase post eccentric is when you're potentially pausing, say at the bottom of a squat, or you're just transitioning straight through. And then a concentric phase is when you come up or you're overcoming a resistance and the muscles are shortening. So positive work is being occurred. So you're essentially moving that weight and then if desired, you can also stop after a concentric phase too, say top of the squat, but whether you stop at the top of the squat or the top of the leg extension has very different implications because different movements will have different resistance profiles. So where you pause at can feel very different. Sometimes you want organically pause at the top of a movement or the end of a movement. Other times you want to keep the tension on. So think if you're doing a hack squat, a pendulum squat, like whether you want to pause at the top, that's kind of self-regulated. And your eccentric, your concentric, and your pauses or your isometric phases, they're different types of contractions. And so they impact what happens metabolically. So how many calories you burn, for instance, or they impact how your brain responds and recruits fibers as well. And they impact the efficiency of the movement. So you, you can manipulate them for many reasons, right down from temp for like a teaching reason hypertrophy factors, sports performance factors, and right down to clinical or rehab factors as well, which is important to flag. All right, let's go back to the basis though of the four-digit number because yep. when, say, for example, writing tempo for a squat, you might see a 3010 um, used, for example, and the benefit of writing this, they, these numbers are not just kind of thrown together. Each number, the order of the number in the the or, the or, the numbers in order um, signify that specific part of the rep. So if we go back to kind of the first part Glenn kind of said was that first number is always going to be in reference to the eccentric. So when the basically the muscle is being stretched and the third number is always going to be in reference to the muscle um, being shortened. So the, the speed that you lift the weight back up in the squat. Um, and once you understand this, it can be, it can be, it's one of those things that people get really overwhelmed at the start and like, Oh my God, I don't get these numbers. And what, like, where do I go? And they, they think, you know, it's really quite overwhelming, but once you get it, it's, it's really simple. And for me, I, I think tempo is a fantastic tool because it can really just give a client a basic understanding of what the objective is, like how fast you want them to lift the weight, because there's a big difference between going to the gym and squatting and just dropping down, dive bomb in the squat versus then controlling down. Yes. You're doing the same thing, going up and down. But the speed that you lift the weight can change um, certain variables. The speed that you can lift the weight can impact really the objective of that lift. Yes, you're still going to say on a squat, be using your quads and glutes, but the speed that you lift the weight can impact things like momentum, um, where you make an exercise hardest, um, what you're kind of biasing in that in that um, specific exercise. So. When you are looking at tempo as a tool, like for you as a coach, like obviously you use it 
what would be a couple of reasons like you're actually using it? Like what are, what are some big pros of Tempo for you? I think number one would just be a teaching tool for some people. Helps with controlling the execution and controlling certain phases of the movement. Teaching someone when to control, when to lift with more intent and be more assertive. Likewise, it can be very much a tool to help problem solve, as in you can attack a certain position to even target a muscle when it's more stretched or lengthened. You can do pauses at the bottom of the split squat if you want to do so attack someone, say like hip flexion or ankle flexion at that bottom range and essentially acting as a loaded stretch. You can also do it to teach someone to move with more intense. If you throw a pause at the bottom of a, a dumbbell press or bottom of a squat, you're going to have to generate more force moving out of a static position, which can, again, it can be very beneficial when you're teaching someone how to move, but also if you want to alter the demands of the nature of an exercise resistance profile. So when you have to exert more force to overcome our resistance and as well you can use it for different settings so you can use it to increase muscle activation by throwing in pauses you can focus on structurally remodeling fibers by playing with eccentrics as well and so there's a lot of things you can do um but yeah some people it can be sort of almost like training wheels if you want to control things than other people, you can do it to manipulate the training stimulus to achieve different outcomes is how I sort of view it. The way I often try to explain to people the benefit of tempo, especially as a coach, is if your client sticks to the tempo, which is a big if when you're not there, um, people like to cheat the tempo. You say, hey, do a two-second pause, and they do like one ninth of a second of a pause um and just on that guys when you when you're programming a tempo as a coach you program it if, well if you know what you're doing for a specific reason and often by programming a tempo you're making an exercise harder on purpose but then if as a client you go and not follow that tempo you actually change basically changing a key variable it's almost like saying let's say i program squats and say do it i want to pause squat but then you don't do a pause. That's kind of like me programming six, um, 10 reps and you're going, oh, I'm just going to do six reps. It changes quite a distinct variable. And that's something I don't think people realize enough with tempo. But back to the kind of the pros of tempo, for me, I often think that I feel like you, when the client does follow the plan, you're really in control of all aspects of the how the client's lifting, how they're moving that weight, what they're trying to bias. Um, and for a client, I think it also helps them understand what you're trying to do. You know, why, why you're doing a slow eccentric, what like from a slow eccentric just means when you're lowering the weight more slowly, uh, it can also help a client, you know, really drill in control. When you get new clients, they're used to, they just want to be like moving fast and dropping and throwing all about. You can actually really force people to slow things down and learn to feel the movement, learn to understand what you're trying to achieve, what's the objective. For example, say in a split squat, learning to you know move your body in synergy, push your knees forward, get your knees over toe. The more that you, the faster you lift stuff, that can be fine for the more advanced person. But too fast, you don't really quite have the technical skills and neurological efficiency yet to um, do movements super fast with control and stuff like that. So tempo can also be a really good teaching tool. But likewise, it can be for me. I think a fantastic tool for advanced clients to really help them focus on different portions of the lift and things like that so from a standpoint of the cons of tempo this is something i would say over the years you know 
there's been, I think, exaggerations of the the absolute crucial necessities of tempo, you know, like back in our kind of Charles Poliquin days, a famous strength coach we used to learn from years ago. Um, he was a fantastic strength coach, but they often, I think, exaggerate the benefits of um, tempo and like the speed that you lift a weight, that there are certain magical tempos um, and to lift a weight super slowly down in the eccentric um, and things like that, which didn't turn out to be probably quite as true from a hypertrophy perspective. Um, so for you, like, what would you say, I guess, from a coaching standpoint would be cons of tempo and even just for a client standpoint, do you think? Big con is if you're trying to lift maximal load, doing a super slow four second eccentric lowering phase is going to actually dramatically reduce the load lifting potential. So that's a big one. And if you're constantly so what does that doing, mean what do you mean by that? So people... as in, if you're trying to do five reps, say you prescribe five sets of five and you do a and you prescribe a whatever you want tempo and you drop down quickly and bounce up swiftly, you'll lift a lot more load versus doing a, a four zero one zero tempo. So four second lowering and fast up. Not necessarily better or worse, but if your goal is to be as strong as possible, you don't want to always lift super, super slow, especially on that lowering phase. Likewise, if you do a million reps, a four zero one zero tempo for 20 reps on a leg extension is batshit crazy. Um, Cause you're going to take forever so 20 times five, 20 reps of a five second total rep. It's going to take a hundred seconds to do a whole set. It's very fatiguing. It's going to take the session take forever. Makes the session very aerobically demanding. And if you're dieting as well, it's going to be very glycolytic or fueled by glycogen or carbohydrates. So not the smartest thing. And as well, of like if you're trying to punch out things during a dieting phase, well, eccentric contractions are very different to concentric contractions in terms of the metabolic or energy cost. So concentric work, you'll burn more contextual calories. But if you're doing a big, big focus on eccentrics, you don't burn as many calories. And so for me, like when I'm dieting with clients, I'm like, I don't really play with tempos, at least eccentrically too much, um, but I use them a bit differently to what I used to. I still have pauses, but knowing when to pause and when to not is important. I like pauses with the client early on. Um, but you also want to be able to take off a pause because that's a magical way to, again, allow a client to lift more load. So you can also keep programming the same reps over three phases, but if you change the tempo, you can organically overload the new phase there. So tempos are also methodical as hell. Um, some people struggle to count to 10 as it is just reps, let alone counting to tempo. So it really depends what you're trying to achieve. Um, and how well a person moves and once someone that moves pretty well, they're normally pretty sweet and they kind of self-regulate the tempo as it is. So sometimes it can be a negative training wheels sort of effect if you're prescribing tempo too often. And a big one as well is you want to know the movement because doing a four second eccentric lowering on a squat is very different to a four second eccentric on a calf raise because of the actual distance traveled. So if you actually think meters per second, four seconds on the squat it's so so different to a calf raise where you're probably moving i don't know 10 centimeters which is just microscopic changes so that's important to flag as well hey 10 centimeters can be big <laughs> right right um yeah so the thing with tempo is is that and I'm trying not to bore you guys out there because tempo is not something that's most riveting, but I think it's important to understand and why to use, but why certain exercises also don't make a lot of sense. So kind of going off what Glenn said there is that let's say you're saying doing a four second eccentric, so four seconds to lower a weight. 
if you're doing say a heels elevated high bar squat and you do four seconds to lower the distance that you travel from standing up to all the way down the very bottom of the squat so four seconds to lower from standing up at the very top to the very bottom you're moving a weight a long distance same with let's say you're doing a say a deficit deadlift standing up to all the way down so four seconds down but if you're doing say a four second lowering phase on say a calf raise where you're only moving um a smaller range of motion four seconds to move that distance it's not quite um relative <laughs> you know if the, the the um i think that's kind of the term I, i'd use like or you know if you're we're saying control so basically there's nothing magic so much about the four seconds it, itself it's more about the idea of controlling the weight mm -hmm. down so but that yep. controlling the weight down on our squat where you're moving a long way from the very top of the squat to all the way down bottom of the squat it's not quite the same then if you're moving a calf raise or just say like a tricep extension where it's much smaller range of motion you moving that range of motion over four seconds means you have to slow down that movement even more so basically it's kind of like going you know 50 k's an hour versus you know 20 k's an hour. you actually have to slow down even more to make up for that small distance and that's where people come yeah. too slow so that's why one of the things with tempo you know and this is something we cover in our advanced program design course for carol performance which is currently on sale guys um mm -hmm. is that tempo is a tool but it's also important to use it as um understanding of what exercise you're doing on not just doing it all right four zero one zero tempo on every single exercise Likewise, it's like, um, you know, one of the things I love with tempo is, is using it, you know, helping people understand where to pause. And generally, where you're going to pause an exercise, you want to be pausing from a hypertrophy standpoint where an exercise is hardest. Um, and that kind of helps people, like, like, like when we're writing pauses for things like hip thrusts or something like that, where we're going to probably go and pause, we're going to pause at the top where it's hardest. Um, so do you want to kind of touch on that, Glenn? Like, again, just as, you know, even with pauses, it's using them in the right place. Like I'm sure you as well see people write pauses and they write it, it where, where it's not actually making the exercise more challenging. It's doing quite the opposite. Yeah. So like, I think when you're adding a pause to any exercise, I would view it as a brand new exercise in many ways. And so if you pause at the bottom or the top of a leg extension, it, it changes the nature of the exercise and you will drastically lift less loading, pausing at the top of a leg extension than the bottom. But the dilemma is, is like, well, emerging research from a hypertrophy standpoint, do we want to be attacking the shorter position or a length of position of, a, of an exercise? If in doubt, lengthen usually go, but some exercises like latch raises, bridges, uh, leg extensions, they will challenge the shorter position the most, but the dilemma is then you drastically cap the loading and you lose that top range first. So that's also why I love using tempo contrast and so manipulating the tempo intraset. So I might throw a pause at a certain point for X amount of reps, but then I take off the pause mid set so then you can continue the working set despite fatigue to punch out more total work. Or I might play with like tempo drop sets. So I might take off the tempo and then punch out more total work after either reducing the load. Or I like pauses for a few sets and then the final set, the back off set, 
when I keep save load, but I take off the pause, punch out more total work. So there's a lot of ways you can play with it, but it also if you pause at a certain point, it forces someone to move swifter, um, which is a big one as well. So that changes how hard an exercise is over its range of motions. Even on a hip thrust, yes, the top range when your muscles are shortened at the top is the hardest. But if you also pause at the bottom, so I've been playing with what I call a floating hip thrust, yes, the bottom range is, hard, is easiest. However, it forces you to work harder for longer and accelerate more out of a static position at the bottom. So you can do it many ways. It's more so knowing the why behind the, the, the manipulation of tempo and justifying and how does it all fit into the big picture is how I'd sort of view it. In regards to building muscle and just the, I guess the whole process of like how fast you should lift a weight. So how, if I, my goal is to build muscle, how fast should I lift the weight? And this is something that over the years, you know, like I think we kind of got told a couple of years ago, 10, 12 years ago studying, you know, you had to be a four second eccentric or a five second eccentric that the eccentric was the key. And what we and then you know you'd have a fast turnaround and what we say obviously that probably isn't that the case because if that was the case you'd just see when people just do eccentric only in research they'd build more muscle than if they didn't and that's not the case at all so it seems to be though you know from a standpoint of rep speed if you want to build a muscle you don't have to lift the weight down like lowering the weight in slow motion to get the benefits um the real kind of thing, what you want to look for when trying to build muscle is having tension within the muscle when you're lowering it. So you're not just dropping the weight. So let's say, you know, you know, when you do a bicep curl and you curl the weight up and your arms flexed, elbows flexed, and then people just drop the weight. So that's probably the end where you're doing almost a half a second to lower. You don't really want that. But likewise for say like a bicep curl, you don't necessarily need it lower four to five seconds down because that's also going to fatigue you more in a way that then you're probably going to get less reps where you're lifting up doing less of the concentric portion of the of the reps um so from a standpoint of building muscle there's a difference between i think using tempo for that versus say hey let's use utilizing tempo say for a strength goal um or a teaching goal um or provide biasing a certain portion of the lift um so do you kind of want to just touch on that say for example how you could use a tempo for say a beginner on learning the squat versus a tempo for say an advanced lifter um in the squat as well in the strength phase versus hey tempo versus just i just want to build muscle in my squat from in my quads yeah so you might like start a beginner or beginner-ish sort of client with a bit more control on eccentrics maybe it's like three zero one zero so three seconds down control down faster up but if someone becomes a bit more advanced again you're sort of taking the tempo training wheels off and you're focusing on just punching out that load and for me, like a default load for default tempo for any exercise is usually just going to be written as two zero one zero. But in reality, that's going to be more so just, it means to me, control down, no pause, faster up, no pause. But you can also regulate that as well. And things will change within the set. So I used the hack squad example before, like you may need to pause at the top and benefit from a pause at the top after the concentric just because it allows you to have a little micro restoration period. And by having a little rest, yes, I didn't prescribe that. 
but you can punch out more total work, which is super important for hypertrophy. Likewise, muscles appear to grow best when challenged hard and for into motion or partial reps when lengthened. So if you want to really bias to that position, you can pause at the bottom of a squat, which can aid speed or make you focus on moving swiftly out of it, can aid technical development. But again, it's also challenging a muscle hardest when it's more lengthened, which can aid growth potential. And if you're progressively overloading, good things happen. So that's how you can sort of play with it. But I also like manipulating eccentrics at times, but especially on sort of some of the big lists and especially with athletic population clients. But I also like playing with pauses as well. So I'll sort of pick phases, which I'll be the priority is pauses or the priority is eccentric work. But if in doubt, it's usually a concentric sort of focus, but that doesn't mean you just be YOLO and just free drop the weights and just use bromentum as I like to call it and you swing around all the time. But you still want to be controlled to sort of maximize the benefits of training. Um, it's sort of finding that sweet spot where it's controlled but assertive. But I think a big one where people sort of talk about tempo and the importance of time under tension, the concentric phase, so moving against the resistance, will naturally slow down. You may prescribe a one, but that doesn't freaking matter when the load gets heavy and fatigue kicks in because you may move super, super slow just because the reps are super hard and you're having to grind through it. But that's actually super, super stimulatory for muscle gain goals because when the concentric reps unintentionally slow down, you recruit more individual muscle fibers and you can expose them to overload stimuli basically so really important um which is why fatigue plus effort is a big thing for muscle gain potential um and it's not just deliberately trying to go slow it's unintentionally going slow on that concert phase which matters massively yeah i think i think though in terms of the concentric it's for the majority of the set obviously it will still be they're kind of somewhat prescribed, you know, and I think people exactly. overcomplicate it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't feel like it needs to be super slow. Yeah. People, I think overanalyze it, just kind of lifting the weight up without just as Glenn said, stupid throwing weight up, but you should, you know, it should still be from a standpoint that eccentric, the lowering should be slower than the muscle lifting up the shortening um, point of the lift. And you kind of do that. You're kind of going to be in a, a good spot and then utilizing things like pauses in the hardest point of the lift. So you might pause at the top of a hip thrust where it's hardest or pause at the bottom of the squat where it's hardest. And you do this to bias more time where um, an exercise is hardest, but say like a squat, all right? there's a difference between the top of the squat because at the top of the squat, the muscles are not actually under any tension. You're just basically standing there. So, you know, say you could, you might program a three zero one zero, but it's still, even though you can stand there and just stand there, breathe out, retighten, brace and breathe in and redo the process. Even though that takes a couple seconds, you wouldn't count that really as a couple seconds because it's not really um, a standpoint of actually being loaded too much. So I try not to kind of, worry about that you could go oh yeah so you could almost use a three-digit cadence really for um the squat exactly yeah. um because it's not it's a bit different whereas obviously the deadlift you know yes it might be on the floor but you're trying to drill in hey don't bounce and keep the weight on the floor and th things like that but i guess the the real kind of take-home points for tempo is it is a tool and it's a great tool to help as a for a coach to help clients i think understand 
what your objective is for the squat and how how fast to move the weight. And once you can start reading tempo, it makes it a lot of sense. And and that can also give I think a training program a bit more of an identity. So it's just not you know doing a pause squat phase or a one and a quarter squat phase versus a slow eccentric phase. They even though you're still doing a squat, it's the same movement pattern which we want to do. Just by doing different tempos can actually be quite mentally stimulating as well. Outside of also physiologically working on different portions of the lifts. Um, and I know you obviously use a lot of things like quarter reps and one and quarters as well. Yeah. So like quarter reps will, will do the same sort of thing. One and a quarters versus pauses in terms of our bias to a certain range, but what's impacting or impacts very differently because with a pause, you're trying to take out momentum. And so you have to force yourself to move swiftly to exit out of that static position with an ease, sorry, with a quarter rep, you're actually trying to use momentum and use elasticity and you're actually performing double the work as a double contraction at a certain point versus a single contraction, but you're having to kickstart again the movement. Crucially though, when you when you pause at a certain point, what's crucial to understand is that you're still actually doing work. It's just the muscles are contracting differently. They're not changing length but they're still contracting which is why muscles can still grow at certain uh, that sort of isometric contraction it's just a different type of contraction but it's less energy costly as well so i actually love pauses in the movement prep or the warm-up especially if say you've got something sore or a sort of muscle groups a bit down regulated so it's not functioning that well so I've got a bit of tricep tendon issues at the moment. So I, I'm playing with pauses in my warm-up because pauses actually have what's called an um, analgesic effect. So they basically relieve pain temporarily. So I play with pauses in my warm-up if something is a bit cranky, which definitely can happen as I'm getting older. Uh, so there's a lot of ways you can use pauses as well. Analgesic, that's our word of the day. <laughs> um, big word. Big word. Um, yeah, so obviously, yeah, I think, I think as you can see, there's very variables and, and for the coaches out there listening, like, I think this episode is probably a bit more aimed at you guys. So you understand, Hey, like, am I utilizing tempo? Well, I'm not. Well, why not? Could that give my programs? I write a bit more, um, specific identity to it. Like make my client really understand what we're trying to do. Are we, are we being really specific and detailed with what we want to do? Of course. Yeah. You've got someone who just wants to lose a bit of weight, just go to the gym, do something. They'll lose weight. Right. But the more and more you want to really narrow down exactly what you want to do, what are your objectives? The more these little things really matter and add up. And that's why every single one of my training programs you see me put out, I put in tempo, same with Glenn, we put in tempo. And you know, these are one of the variables that we, definitely use a lot um, when we educate with our carol performance um, program design course so with that we created you know our program design course because it's 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 really something that a i think we're passionate about and then b we're also really good at with our with what we do and our client results and and i know about you glenn but i always just feel it's fine i, I feel like it's what's that Dunning-Kruger kind of effect where people who just yeah. don't really know much, they feel like they know so much about program design until they come uh -huh. and learn from us and like, oh my God, I know nothing. But it's, it's easy to feel like you know everything when you are in like this little bubble with your program design and you think, 
oh, I know everything. I'm going to do this exercise to do a pull down and I'm going to do this to hit my upper chest. And it's like, but what about this? And what about that? And, you know, with our yeah. program design course, I think it's one of those things where initially you're like, oh, I know everything. And then you go into it and be like, oh my God, I know mm. nothing. But then that's also a good place to be because then yeah. once you start to realize you don't know that much, then it makes you realize that you can actually improve a whole lot. Yeah, and it's, it's a good example. Like you don't know what you don't know. And we were lucky enough to be around some elite global leading coaches early in our sort of career. So we got pushed to learn and pushed to improve and encouraged to go seek people out who are, to be blunt, better than us at the time. Um, and it sort of, it really highlights like, wow, I don't really know this as well as I thought. Or it's like, okay, how well do you know it? Can you go to a course or present on it live versus, yeah, I copied someone's post to, to explain it without knowing the why behind it. And I think for myself, like when I was starting out, yeah, I thought I was hot shit and knew a lot about training because I went to the gym and looked okay. But I think for a young coach, ignorance and arrogance is often the, the limiting factor to, to growth and development. And the more you sort of stay curious and like, hmm, maybe I don't know this. Maybe I could do it differently. Like even since I wrote the course or we wrote the course up, it's like, I do things really quite differently than I probably did when I was writing it up two years or so ago. I, I've evolved continually. I'm like, oh, new research says this. Cool, adapt. And then it's sort of like, oh, I can do this differently. Adapt. Is this optimal? Maybe not. But then it's just factoring in little things like just client enjoyment and someone's preferences is really important as well. Yes. Actually, did a podcast this morning actually um, about you know the learning and having the ability to you know a big part of being good at something is number one is actually having the hunger to want to learn and get better and another big part of um, being great at something it's having the ability to have a low ego that you feel like you don't know everything and you're receptive of learning new things and receptive of feeling like, Hey, I don't know that much, but that's okay. And that's not going to let me think, uh, I can't do this. And then the third um, characteristic was also, um, the ability to be coachable people who are coachable, who basically are like sponges and they want to learn and absorb mm -hmm. information. They're the ones that do well. And that's kind of what I think Carol performance is about. And because it's kind of off the back of what I definitely have done personally, I've always just loved learning and, you know, I've gone in and invested into learning off many people and being that sponge, just learned and learned, absorbed and thought, what can I, how much can I learn from other people? And, you know, that's the power of kind of what we do of our course we put out with Carol performance, you know, having that ability to go and get, you know, the knowledge from someone like Glenn and myself that we've spent decades absorbing and then giving it to you guys to then apply to your own clients can just be a, a just a massive way to get ahead of the competition get ahead um and not just get ahead from a standpoint of get more clients but just actually get ahead from a standpoint of do amazing things get amazing results and have happy clients who are thriving with your methods which is for me is always a big confidence builder um so with that glenn um <laughs> Carol Performance, our, we have a current flash sale, guys, for all of you out there, our certificate three and four in fitness, um, and of course, program design, our fitness business strategy. Um, and then, Glenn, obviously, you have your own online coaching. Where can everyone find you if they're looking um, for um, more help with their own coaching clients? Yeah, so just ch check out my Instagram at coach underscore underscore Carol on Insta um, or teamatlas.com.au if you wanted to check out my website and you can get more info there.
And what are you doing? Offering? What's that? What are you offering? Oh, as in an online coaching, of course. So I, I, I just do personally very premium one-to-one online coaching myself. Like I don't, I don't do sort of semi-private stuff. It's all, it's all me. It's very methodical and analytical. Um, that's sort of how I like to go about it. And so I, I like to sort of put a lot of time into a little amount of people, um, which can work really, 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 really well for the right people. Um, so you want to learn and evolve and improve. Yeah, I usually work quite well with those sort of people. Perfect. So there you go, guys. Hopefully that gave you a bit of an insight to a bit more about tempo, why we like to use it, why it's a, a great tool, but it's also not the be all and end all um, if you're not kind of thinking about it with your training but i think it's definitely a great tool to have to help you really understand what you're trying to do with each lifter particularly as a coach it can be a fantastic tool with your training programs um to really communicate your objectives of your exercise selection for your clients and for all the aspiring personal trainers out there and the personal trainers out there our carol performance flash sale is live guys on our courses so Go find Glenn if you're not following him already. Make sure you go follow Glenn on Instagram and check out his coaching at um, Atlas Performance. So thank you so much, Glenn. We appreciate it. Thank you.